This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here, and my guest in the studio this week, Kate Hess Pace, originally a Bloomingtonian, back to it after a, maybe almost a 10-year sojourn outside the city. Thanks for being on Big Talk. Thank you for having me. Well, Kate is a social justice warrior, community organizer. She's now the director of Hoosier Action here in uh, Indiana, a social justice advocacy organization. Is that is that good? I would call us a community organizing organization, yeah. You yourself have been called a community organizer, as I say here, and a fellow by the name of uh, Jesse Meyerson, who apparently has helped you set up mm-hmm. Hoosier Action. Uh, he does a From the Heartland podcast on Patreon. He has this quote on you. <laughs> she is a visionary organizer. Did you know that? I, I know that Jesse said that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think he means by that? A visionary. How is one a visionary if one is an organizer? I think all good organizers, of which there are many across the country, ultimately we're optimists who um, believe and can start to see a better world and have committed ourselves and our lives to that, to the task of bringing, getting closer to that world. You know, that it's funny you should say that, optimist. Right before we started this recording, we talked about, well, who's at fault for the, you know, the state we're in these days? And I threw it out there that, hey, the citizenry has been asleep. But you said, hey, wait a minute, mister. So give me your, hey, wait a minute, mister. So um, Hoosier Action and community organizing in general is really um, grounded in the premise that the reason why people don't have what they need or have less in communities is because of a power disparity and that our work is to organize people into collective blocks to build power so they can win the things they need in the world. So it's less of um, individuals aren't doing what they should, and more how do we build and be a vehicle so that we can collectively build power and win things like higher wages or paid sick time or end predatory lending, and none of that will happen without building power. Well, I was under the impression, I went to elementary school and I took civics class and I was told that we have all the power. We're the voters. Doesn't that work? A couple of responses to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so voting is one form of participation in a democracy. We're not really taught a lot of, a lot of other ways to participate. So um, part of what you're doing, and sometimes people call community organizing being a democratic practitioner. So you are teaching and training and working with people to build their capacity to act for themselves in their communities. That would be democratic with a small d? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for clarifying. Mm-hmm. Um And also, I would say because uh, other people in this country are clear about power, Mm -hmm. they have um, constructed a set of things that have eroded both our democracy and the power of our individual vote, uh, whether that's voter ID or gerrymandering. So, yes, your vote matters, and we're going to be working hard on the elections, but there are many, many other ways for people to um, exercise and build power for change. One of those ways, for instance, a whole bunch of groups from from around the nation got together, went to Washington, and went into the various senators' offices 
while the ACA repeal was being argued and did actions at these offices. It, it was called Kill the Bill, Don't Kill Us, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Were you there? I wasn't. We sent five people for members of Hoosier Action. Mm-hmm. And that's what your job is going to be over the uh, coming months mm-hmm. and years. Yeah, and so we, we're um, affiliated with a national uh, group called the Center for Popular Democracy, which oh. has community organizing groups across the country. Uh-huh. And they brought people from all 50 states to go into each Republican uh, senator's office that was um, going to vote uh, either to vote to repeal the ACA. Were there arrests? Yes. And what were people charged with? A misdemeanor. They got a ticket. It was a very small charge. Yeah, yeah. So no felonies uh, yeah. involved. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's grounded in the, I mean, taking arrest isn't something that we take lightly, and it's not something we'll do regularly, it, but it is a tool in the toolbox of um, ways that we assert and build our power. And for us, we've been talking to hundreds of people who stand to lose their health care, and so that, for us, required disruption. Now, let me help clarify again. This is not disruption in the modern usage in uh, business and economics. You know, disruptors is the the chic new term. This is disruption in terms of civil disobedience. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Does it work? Uh, It certainly has for the course of the history of social change. It is um, always needs to be a tactic embedded inside of a larger strategy. So it's uh-huh. not like we just disrupted and, and yeah. uh, participated in dis- civil disobedience. We've, we've collected lots of stories. We have op-eds placed in the Washington Post and on Mike.com about Hoosiers that would be hurt by this vote. So it, yes, it works um, if it's embedded inside of a larger strategy, which is what you saw over time through the civil rights movement. Interestingly enough, there has been a name, especially when Barack Obama was the president, there was a name that was a, 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 a flashpoint name relating to uh, community organizing. That would have been Saul Alinsky. Is he like a, uh, a hero to the movement, or where, where does he stand in your pantheon, if anywhere? I mean, like most humans, he's a complex figure who left us a complicated legacy. I think we haven't thrown out a lot of what Alinsky, the groundwork that he laid, which is really like... Um, kind of our relational and agitational model that we use to get people, we, we employ to get people participating and active. And we've also outgrown a lot of um, what he laid forward and then are developing new tactics. You were here growing up with your family mm-hmm. in Bloomington. Then about 2010, you dashed off to Minnesota to work with a group called Isaiah. What's that all about? Isaiah is a um, organization across the state of Minnesota that does faith-based community organizing. Um, so they work largely with faith institutions, and um, that's really where I cut my teeth as an organizer and learned skills and led a set of campaigns around um, mostly economic justice issues and then defeating the voter ID um, amendment that was on the ballot in 2012. What does uh, Isaiah stand for? It's not an acronym. Isaiah is a prophet. Oh, yeah. And it's okay. uh, Isaiah 58:12. You shall be called to be um, repairers of the breach, restorers of the streets to dwell in. Well, some of the uh, issues that you worked on, uh, homeowner bill of rights mm-hmm. and uh, 
defeating voter ID on the Minnesota ballot and uh, something having to do with predatory lending as well. So you had some successes. We did, yeah. Um, we passed some of the strongest foreclosure legislation in the country um, coming off the um, economic crisis, mm -hmm. uh, defeated the voter ID amendment, or worked on some affordable housing campaigns that were won, and then the last two years really were spent on um, pay both payday lending but the broader landscape of predatory lending that keeps people in debt. Would some of those same issues be at play here in Indiana? Absolutely. Indiana doesn't have great laws for everyday consumers. And in fact, e even in this town, there's a bunch of subprime car lending that happens so that people that have low or no credit are the most likely to be ripped off and charged interest rates up to 300%. That used to be, speaking of faith-based and all that, used, that used to be a sin. Uh, it's usury. It usury. is a sin, yes. <laughs> And if I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the big fellas in uh, the Bible, Jesus Christ, whipped those fellas out of the temple. temple. Mm -hmm. But yes. that isn't the way it works anymore. Strange, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What odd days we're in. It is a strange moment in this country's history. Yes, it is. Sort of a crossroads? Uh... I, I kind of hope it's a crossroads. I, I Like I said, this is a... I'm in a vocation of optimists, um, not unstrategic optimists, maybe pragmatic optimists. And I, I do see a lot of people um, angry and woken up to the necessity to redirect a whole set of things in this country. Are there a lot of people who just think that the whole system's corrupt and so why should I bother? Yes. There are. And there's a lot of people that are um, kind of mired in shame and despair. And a lot of the work of bringing people, of organizing is bringing people out of kind of a personal shame and a despair that things can't get better and that the world just comes at them over and over toward some belief that we can collectively be a part of something better. So in a way, part of your job is to get out there and grab people by the shoulder and say, come on, come on with me. Is yeah, that true? I mean, I, I think so. I think organizing in some ways is a set of um, deep and powerful invitations for people to think differently about who they are in the world and what's possible um, and to take a couple steps forward towards that vision. And one of the ways to do that is to knock on doors. Yes. Which you have done. It's uh, true, yeah. You've so, had the, uh, the door knock... Uh, uh, action for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Yes, Hoosier Action, we're a base-building organization, so yes. that means we don't um, advocate on behalf of, but try to build a base where people are really leading the organization, and we're, we're member-owned and driven. Uh -huh. So the door-knocking, um, the catalyst for it was really the, the potential cuts to Medicaid and also what um, Governor Holcomb is trying to do in terms of a work requirement on Medicaid, but the conversation with people is much longer and expansive, and then we um, try to follow up with people as much as possible and bring them into the organization. So the door knocking is a not just a one-off conversation, but a longer um, attempt to build relationships with people across the county. And I should say we're also working outside of this county. How far around outside the county? Well, are the two places that we're actively building right now are up here in Monroe County and then down in Floyd County. Down by the river? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, New Albany area and yeah. so forth. Yeah, exactly. 
See, because I was going to ask at one point, do you guys plan on uh, endorsing candidates? Clearly, you're not going to endorse candidates. Uh, or am I wrong here? Well, we can. So we're a 501c4. Yeah. Um, our membership would have to vote on that. Uh-huh. So our goal is to build um, across small towns and to build a small town and rural agenda that um, both revitalizes sets of these areas, provides opportunity, and kind of resets the economic devastation that's happened. And so that platform and agenda will be used to evaluate all candidates as they run for office. What if I'm like one of these Tea Party characters, and I go, you know what? I want to get in on that group, that Hoosier Action group, and I want to join, and I want to push my agenda. What do you think about that? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I definitely That's would That's a tough one. <laughs> well, I would say, like, we certainly, like, want and would love... Uh, Democrats, independents, and Republicans, and unaffiliated people in the organization. Mm-hmm. We are grounded in a set of core values that uh-huh. are about um, lifting people out of poverty, making sure that um, people have opportunity for good work, that um, people are treated with dignity and respect, that we um, kind of honor every life that's down here. And so, and with an active, like, our, our organization is really focused both on building power and building strong relationships. So if that Tea Partier ascribes to all of that, which, frankly, some of them probably do, absolutely. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> we, now, I'm actively trying to um, organize around the um, kind of political binary that's entrenched us culturally. So... We're, we're in some ways not trying to line up very closely with either political party. And if you go and talk to Hoosiers about things like raising the minimum wage or treatment for opioids or should you be able to stay home with your kid when you're sick, they're with us. Right. Even No matter what flag they wave or mm-hmm. what uh, placard they have in the window. The publication In These Times ran a little piece uh, featuring a discussion with uh, Jesse Meyerson, and the headline of that piece was, Can Indiana Be the Stronghold of the Resistance? Now, first off, what is the resistance? Resistance is certainly a word that's like unique to the user and the listener. I guess in in my definition of resistance, it would be... um, it's a cruel place and too many people are suffering at the hands of it. Um, and and so the corrective with an organizing lens is like a mass movement that is operating um, across race and class to fight back against essentially the people that have the most power in this country, which in this country is the wealthiest. That old 1% again. Uh-huh. Uh, Those guys. Has the current president galvanized the resistance? Is the resistance more powerful now? I think he has galvanized people some. I think we have a lot of work to do. There's a, a lot of a lot of times we think of mass movements as the people just rise up. And that's actually never happened. 
there's always organizations and organizers that are kind of the containers or the nucleus of the cell that pull people together. Hoosier Action is one of those organizations. We need more of them, and they're going to look different and have different constituencies. Yes, it's he's galvanized people, and yes, we have a lot more work to do if we really want to see not only a defeat in in 2020, um, but a new political reality. Among the ways that you make these things happen is, uh, for instance, you have already sponsored a statewide all-day leadership training that is making uh, making common citizens able to maybe start their own organizations? Well, hopefully they'll join ours. Yeah. Um, so a really important thing to me and my, in my own development as an organizer was an ongoing training and investment. So we're going to do, we do quarterly day-long leadership training that um, give people whole sets of skills around how do you build public relationships, what is power and how do we wield it, how do you think about strategic campaigns. Um, so we'll be doing that on a regular basis, as well as we have member meetings where people get trained. Is it possible for you to give a couple of examples of some of the skills that are needed? We give skill-based training around, like, how do you run an action? Mm-hmm. How do you think about campaigns? How do you build a team? How do you build strong relationships that are built on trust? It makes me wonder, it, it, you're a strong organizer. You're constantly thinking about issues. You're like a policy wonk in a way. You do your reading. Maybe a little bit. Would you be more effective as a political candidate? Or are you more effective where you are? I mean, I'm biased. I like where I am. Um, Uh I think in a democracy that's working and robust, you both need um, like committed public servants that are running for office. And then you need collective blocks of people with different constituencies that are in a struggle for a better country. And I believe my work is about building that constituency and pushing as hard as we can on public officials. I hope I, I, I don't patronize you here, but you're very well-spoken. You carry yourself very professionally. My guess is you could make a hell of a lot more money in the corporate world. So why <laughs> the heck did you get into this business? Well, money isn't a great motivator for me, mm-hmm. uh, personally. I find the world around me largely intolerable mm-hmm. and that people have to work too hard and struggle too much for really basic things, let alone like a right to be joyful and have some respite from the world. Right. And I am so grateful for this vocation and the fact that it exists. And there's nothing I'd rather be doing, and certainly nothing I'd rather be doing under the Trump administration. Did you know that you would be this kind of person when you were a kid? Were no. You, <laughs> were you aiming to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the world straight when I grow up? Um, I definitely didn't have that much clarity. I've <laughs> always been to some extent, like a political person. Uh-huh. And I think I've always, I mean, certainly I've been through my own share of things in my life and um, been around a lot of people who've been through hard experiences, but th- that kind of shaped me, I hope, into a compassionate person. Do you recall your first political memory? 
What big news event was the first one in your recall? I let's see a lot. I mean, my father is pretty polit, but my family is pretty attuned to politics. Are uh, they? And and do they do they support you in they your do. actions here? Yes. They well, do. That's good. They're very supportive. <laughs> and happy I'm back. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I remember um, Iran-Contra. I have mm-hmm. vivid memories of Ronald Reagan. I felt aware of the world for most of my childhood um, and what was you happening. You were one of those it. kids. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I, liked, I liked government class. Where did you go to school? Uh, I went to Rogers and Benford and Bachelor and South and North. And what about after? That's complicated, long story. I I will be short. I moved to I went to four different universities. I went to community college and then state college, um, and then I graduated from Indiana University. Uh, what did you study? I did an independent major. I studied um, public space and democracy. So, uh huh. Yeah. Sort of fitting. Yeah, and then I went to graduate school at Cornell. At Cornell, mm-hmm. an Ivy Leaguer. Yes. I liked my public school experience better, for the oh, record. Oh, <laughs> sure, sure. What's your day like as the director of uh, Hoosier Action? What do you do all day? Do you make phone calls and try to uh, rouse the troops, or uh, what goes on? <laughs> no day is, like, th- the same as the day before, which I tend to like, even if it's a little crazy-making. I am, you know, your medium as an organizer is people, so you talk, I, I meet with people one-on-one, I'm on the phone a lot. I um, raise money. I think through the next four years. So I do lots of calls with directors across the country, and there's a growing Midwest strategy. Are you going to do any voter registering at uh, events uh, in public spaces or anything on that order? Is that part of your goal? Yes, we will. We will definitely do voter registration. We will definitely do voter persuasion. Um, Monroe County has some of the lowest, as far as I know, has some of the lowest voting rates compared to the seven counties around it, um, despite being the biggest city in the congressional district. Yeah. yeah. So we will f- try to figure out as much as we can how to um, increase voter participation across Monroe County and then across the whole district. That's sort of frustrating. Mm-hmm. That the low voter turnout here in this town, which is, as you know, it's it's this little donut hole in yeah. the middle of uh, Indiana. Interestingly, I've been having a, a, a couple of uh, Democratic candidates for the primary, the 2018 congressional uh, uh, election. And uh, I keep on saying to each one of them, uh, this is Indiana. Why do you think you're going to win? You're a Democrat. There is a You're Democrat in this congressional district my whole life until 2010. I mean, it's gerrymandered now, but it's still good to know. It's not as red as it as we think it is. Interestingly enough, and I also read that, uh, and I didn't, I didn't even remember this. 2008, Indiana went for Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, and at the time, Baron Hill was the uh, congressman. Here. Yep. And then before that, you had Lee Hamilton for about 150 years. Since 1965. Years, right? yeah. Yes. And then we also had Democratic governors for most of my life and yeah. often send a bipartisan Senate delegation to Washington, D.C. So I would describe us actually more of a purple state than we look on the books right now. 
can I ascribe this to your optimism or to a good sense of reality? I think it's a good sense of reality. I mean, the idea that everybody in Indiana voted for Trump is false. The majority of people in Indiana didn't participate in the election. Um, So I think it's a set of serious questions to ask ourselves about why aren't people participating and what are they not seeing reflected back to them in candidates and and in the issues that are getting talked about. Mm -hmm. So what do you do now? Well, unfortunately, they're not done doing potentially horrific things. So... (laughs) So we will be working on that and turning our attention to that. And then we'll continue to try to fight on this work requirement for Medicaid, which uh, would put 30% of Medicaid recipients to work, including people that are going through chemotherapy or have significant mental health problems. Um, So we'll continue to advance that and also just continue to build a strong base so that we can take on more things, as well as trying to work on some local issues too. We have a housing problem both here and down in New Albany. Is there any concern uh, for what uh, the big headline issue locally, the opioid yes. uh, situation? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, I would love to figure out and partner with, a, there's a bunch of organizations doing incredible work on that front. So trying to figure out how do we partner with them um, to do things like figure out how we get more money to treatment, decriminalizing the needle Um, the needles, um, and also partnering with organizations in the cities um, because opioid crisis is not just a white rural problem. Um, So trying to figure out how it's not stigmatizing people of color in the cities and then um, empathizing with white rural opioid users and instead trying to figure out how do we get more money for treatment, less people in prison for drug use across the board. You know what's interesting, uh, part of... uh uh, the opioid uh, situation uh, is homelessness mm-hmm. uh, as well. And uh, interestingly enough, I was just doing some reading the other day, and 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40, go back to the early part of the 20th century. Local governments have been doing the same thing regarding homelessness that they're doing today. Just move them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that odd? And it's never really worked except for a few weeks, uh, the shop owners where the homeless people gathered are happy. But otherwise, nothing has been done. Intractable problems. Is there such a thing as an intractable problem? Um, there are problems we can solve now and there's problems we can solve over time. I no, I don't think I I don't think homelessness is an intractable problem. I think there will always be people that um need more support and deserve more support. And so it's kind of depending on how you're defining the problem. We would probably save a lot of money if we gave everybody a house or gave them a social worker or both. Always the optimist. <laughs> Kate Hespace, social justice warrior. She's a community organizer, director of Hoosier Action. Kate, thanks for joining us on Big Talk. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.